0: often to me. It's happened on a couple occasions, but it doesn't normally happen. I can probably say that probably doesn't happen to Pastor Dan or Pastor Mike either, but um, I know in your bulletin you have, it says that our text this morning is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, and that the sermon title is, "Does No One Like Jesus, and, and that's true, right? Amen? But I'm not going there today. <laughs> I, uh, I last night um, I we were at the at the Providence Rescue Mission and I shared a message and off of that last night I just it's I'm a totally different way, and uh, it doesn't happen very often. But I just want to give you a heads up that forget the text in the bulletin and, and the title there. Although that it works, um, and all the songs were declaring that and it fits right into actually the idea that, that Jesus came and we're celebrating and remembering that that Christ came for us, and Christmas is that that celebration with his advent, is coming. And, um, but we're going to go Luke, Luke's Gospel, Chapter 2, and we're going we're to look at the Christmas story. I know, I know it's, it's, for some of you, you might think it's early, but it, it's really not. Um, Luke Chapter 2, and the title of my sermon is, No Room for Jesus, No Room for Jesus, and, and that's going to be our challenge, as well as um, the truth, in many ways, for us um, this morning. Luke chapter 2, first seven verses, uh, I'm reading from the New American Standard, it says, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, most of us are familiar with the Christmas story. I'm I'm pretty confident of that. Um, At least... Some parts of it. Um, and even the accounts of the wise men, the shepherds, and Jesus being born in a manger, and maybe some of us are familiar with the prophecies, and we're, we're, we're aware of of some of the spoken words by the prophets, and God foretelling, and, and being true to His word, that a Savior, a Messiah would come, a Redeemer for His people, and that sin would be taken care of through this one who would die uh, for the sins of many. And, and we're familiar with that story. But Christmas is that time of year, right? It's, it's that holiday, if you want to call it. that. It's that celebration that if, for many of us, it's kind of unmatched to any others. I mean, for me, Easter, of course, we love Easter as Christians. We know uh, on this side especially that Jesus is alive and we celebrate that. Um, he rose from the dead. But often for all of us, Christmas is that time, just like Thanksgiving and the holidays. It's a time of family, food, music, lights, and a chance for to do something that we don't ordinarily do, right? Like, well, some of us are good gift givers, but we exchange gifts. We give gifts during Christmas. Um, and... We might even be cheerful for a few weeks because it's Christmas. Where normally during most of the year we're kind of like, whatever, right Jay? You'll be cheerful because it's Christmas. <laughs> as soon as I said that, he's laughing back there. So I, I had to mean something to you. I, Judy's affirming something as well. I, I don't know exactly what, but all right, all right. Or we do something nice. Or we, or we place the change in the Salvation Army like Bucket out there, outside of Walmart or whatever, wherever they're stationed, right? We do things like that, because it's Christmas time. But that's fine, let's put all that aside, and it's not a judgment or a criticism, and whether you do it only then or all the time or whatever, but it it certainly, it gets ramped up, all that stuff gets ramped up. And we feel it, and sometimes we feel it so strongly, it's almost stressful, right? If we're not careful. But as we meditate on Christmas... And you really think about it, and as a Christian, if you're a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, the one who has been born again, who has been renewed and given a new heart, regenerated and the Holy Spirit lives in you, Christmas is extraordinary, it's amazing, and it's an incredible time when you really contemplate and think about what's going on and what happens. God was born on this earth. Now, that's where I started last night, my mind just went there. Yeah, just again, a reminder, and I couldn't get over it, that God was born on this earth. This planet, God came down to it for you and for me. The, the, again, this amazing being, the only God, came to this earth. Uh, and we remember that during Christmas. Or do we? Or do we remember that? Do we have room to remember that it's all about Jesus and that he came for you because you were a lost sinner? Do, do we have room for that? Do we have room for Jesus? We say Merry Christmas, we have all the greetings, we do all that stuff, but deep in our hearts and in our minds, are we focused on, uh, on that? Who else in all of human history uh, divided history in half, if you will, besides this person, Jesus? You know, we live in on this time, uh, and we call it 2018 AD, although they're trying to change all these different things too with the calendar, right? Because it's, it's 2018 years approximately after Jesus came to this planet. When God was born, he was here. And, um, you know, gifts, oftentimes you give gifts, people make requests, right? Well, for Christmas, I want this, you X, Y, and Z, you you put out your list, right? And Carrie has a really long one, but that's okay, because Harry's going to take care of her, right? And we, we often choose gifts, even if they have a list, that are really suited for that person. Why? Why? Because we know what they like, we know what interests them, and sometimes, even if they don't ask it, we know what they need. Or we sometimes think we know what they would need or they would like or what's necessary for them. And so we give them gifts on that because we get to know someone and so we, we get a gift that way. Well, God certainly did that and that's why God gave the world His Son. That's why Jesus came as a perfect sinless man into this dark sinful world, which is what it was and still is. You know, we're so familiar with the story that, and the carols and the scene of Christ's birth As the nativity scene, we're familiar with that, and all the sheep and the camels and why they're all coming to to worship Jesus. They were probably at different times, but we clump them all together, right? Just because we want to remember. We know that it happened. And Christ comes, and my question this morning is, how was that gift received? This gift that God, that God himself, the gift of himself, that he came to be with humans, to give his life. How was that gift received? We read it. Sorry, there's no room for you, Jesus. You know, some things haven't changed. Maybe not in those exact terms, but with the attitude and with our mindset or with, you know, out of sight, out of mind thing, it's, we still say, and a lot of people still say, sorry, there's just no room for you right now, Jesus. And that's what happened when Mary and Joseph are going to Bethlehem. And Someone, didn't somebody notice? I wonder, I mean, if, if that she was pregnant and needed someplace to say, to stay. Our text tells us, and we know that, I mean, there's the census being taken. Everybody's got to go to their hometown. So they, they head out. Listen, everybody's there. It's crowded. It's jam packed. It's not like Bethlehem's this thriving huge city with like six Holiday Inn branches or hotels there. It's not not like that. So whatever accommodations were there, they were all filled up and and it was all crowded because everybody went to their hometown and staying with either family, friends, or strangers, or whether they made reservations or not, they were there. They were were filling up every space available to spend the night. No one gave up their room for Mary or Joseph or for Jesus to be born. You know, I'm just going to say... I, I really believe, as I mentioned just a second ago, that some things have not changed. Some things haven't changed. There's no room for Jesus. Why was there no room in Bethlehem? Again, it's, like, as I mentioned, there's, there, there, the census is going on, and there physically simply isn't any room for Jesus to be there. And so Mary is forced, if I could use that word, because of the context, the situation, the environment, what's going on, the census, she's forced to give birth to Jesus Somewhere off on the side. I don't even know whether, some people, it's a stable where there's a trough. We know there's a manger. I don't know what was there, what animals were there. We no, no, no one knows exactly how much hay there was, how cold it was, how covered it was, or how exposed it was, or if it was in a dark corner, how dark it was, or if there was any light. We don't know exactly. The point is, there was a manger, there was a trough of some sort in that area. And Jesus was not born in that trough, but he was eventually placed in that trough. In that manger. He's put there. And there's no room. And Bethlehem is a small village, only six miles from Jerusalem, but it's not a tourist, tourist center. So, limited capacity. There's only one option, to be born in a barn. No room in Bethlehem. And it's understandable why. We understand there's no room, but even when they come, even to squeeze one extra body or three extra, two extra bodies with, with, a, with a third in the womb of Mary, to, to come in and spend the night because it's cold, come on in decent accommodations. Go figure. God, the almighty, the all-powerful God, and he, so quietly and so humbly he comes into this proud world and the Lamb of God is born in a feeding trough. That sheep ate from. Is it a coincidence? It's an amazing thing, I think, how God works. That the Lamb of God, the, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, who would be the good shepherd, he's born among these livestock, and he's born in a place where lamb, where sheep feed from. And yet he's the one that is the bread of life. There's so many connections here that I could go on in tangents for, for hours. That, that, the, 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 the powerful things in God's plan to pointing to who Jesus is and how amazing his ministry would be. He could, and he could have chosen not to come down. God could have chosen that, I suppose, right? He could have chosen that. But he loved you so much and he loved me so much that he left the worship that he received from the angels. All the glory. Can you imagine? I mean, we love when people praise us. Let's all admit it, we do. You love to be complimented. You love to be praised. You love to be esteemed high. You love to be, it, well, you know, it butters us up and it, 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 it feeds our ego. And we, we love it. And it's not that, that, that Jesus or God had an ego problem. He certainly didn't. He deserved it all. He was God. It's his. He doesn't have that issue. But he was getting that all the time. And Jesus leaves that. He, he comes down to be with us. And He came to us so that we could have a relationship with Him. John 1, verse 14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because earlier in chapter 1, and chapter 1 of John is awesome. The first like 18 verses, 17 verses are incredible. And it says here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, and and he clarifies, you can read there, and you can understand very clearly he's talking about Jesus. And Jesus there, who was there all along, he comes down, he dwells among us in verse 14. The Word became flesh and walked among us. And Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet Isaiah says about 700 years before Jesus is born, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. God's with us. Man was created for that reason. Think about it. God created to have fellowship with him, that he had relationship with him. And and as I mentioned earlier, many religions strive to get to God, and all the while, God's already come. He's already come. And even with no room in the inn, God comes to man as a man and is not received. He's not received and most often left standing outside and just put out of our lives. And this is evident in our world. This happens in our world. Not only did it happen in Bethlehem for obvious reasons because of the census, but it happens in our... There's no room for Jesus in our world. No room for Jesus in our world. You know, the Israelites, just quickly, the Israelites, after God provides for them a way of escape from the Egyptians, in all their history, we often mention this, Their history is is always filled with all this rebellion, and I could just say, pushing God out of their lives, where they didn't have room for God, but they had room for everyone else. They had room for other religions. They had room for other practices and entertaining. Maybe they were being politically correct, I don't know, with, with the people they were around. But they had no room for God. God was always being pushed out. And then they realized how desperately they needed him and and they came back to him because God used somebody to to call him back or circumstances or or other nations even. But God calls him back. Always pushing him out. And it was was ongoing. In the New Testament, John 1.10 says that he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not even recognize him. I mean... Why? Because he humbled himself and he came like another guy. And they didn't recognize, even with his teachings, even what he did, and even with his miracles, so many did not even recognize he's the Son of God, the Messiah, even his own words. And they thought it was a joke because they didn't expect him to be what he was or who he was. They wanted something more, something different, something in their eyes better, something more powerful, at least of what it looked like by appearances on this earth. Whether it was political or it was social, whatever it was, they wanted something different. They came and they did not recognize him. And listen, and, and in verse 11, it goes further. It says, he came to his own in John 1. He came to his own, but his own did not, first of all, not even recognize him, but they did not receive him. They didn't receive him. They didn't even welcome him in. They, when, eventually, they just said, you're crazy, dude. What are you talking about? You're making yourself equal with God? You think you're God? You think that you can teach us? You can forgive sins? You can, you can uh, go and, 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 and heal people and then say, oh, your sins are forgiven? That's blasphemy. You're crazy. You're creating yourself to God. And they're pushing him out because he thought he was well off his rocker. Here he was, God himself, walking on this earth. You know, what strikes me really powerfully as I was thinking about this, was the prophecy in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 that, 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 that stated that Bethlehem would be the site of Jesus' birth. Now, here's, here's what blows my mind with Herod and the teachers of the law and, and actually the Magi. The Magi came and they got counsel from the Jewish religious leaders who knew all about these prophecies. And they and they knew where he was. They even they told the magi where they should go, and they stayed home. You go and find him. We know where he is. Good luck. If you want to go find him, you think he's really there. This is what the prophecy says. Go for it. They knew it, they saw it, and yet they let the magi go and worship and find him, and they hung out. And they did not receive or recognize him. Not really. Not really. They just knew in their mind and intellectually and with the word, but not right here. They didn't go and seek him out. Today, there are plenty of, in our world, there's plenty of religious ritual that goes on. And it's in various forms that it comes. Some of it's very, very, you know, pious. And very high church, if you will. And very liturgical to the letter. To, to, I mean, to, for every moment of your day. Morning, evening, and, and afternoon. And it tells you how to be religious. And, and we go through this religion. For some others, their religion is so casual. And listen, I'm not judging. I'm not going to go there. It's not the place right now. But it could be so casual. But you still have your religion. It's a religion of, of informality and casualness and nonchalantness. You know, these extremes. Everyone is religious on some level. You can't escape that because you have your way of worshiping either God or yourself or someone. And we have our habits, our rituals, if you want to put it that way. How does your day look? It looks pretty much the same every day. Doesn't it? I mean, generally, with the variations in your workload or what happens in work or in your family. But it's your, your, your patterns. Your head. We're all, and, and even in our worship, we're, we have patterns. And it, It's okay. Right? But there's all of these, and, and yet we know that everyone knows how to be spiritual. they know how to, but there's still somehow, Jesus is left out on the perimeter a lot of times. The philosophy and the standards of the world today, they make no room for Jesus. Get all you can while you can. Isn't that a, for some people, a philosophy or a worldview or, or a thing that drives them that, that makes them go? And, or how about live it up? Do whatever you want. Live life up. That philosophy is so strong. Do what's best for you. You can take care of yourself. That self-sufficiency. You can discover who you are by yourself. You can be whoever you want, and we see what that really means today, and it's really, really a scary, I'm just being on a scary place where you can determine who you are, what you are, when you want to be. We're all so so self-sufficient, and Jesus said himself, he said that apart from me, in John chapter 15, you can do nothing. Even as Christians, we can push Jesus outside and start doing things on our own if we're not careful. How easy it is for us to get caught up in these philosophies and this, this, these worldviews and these attitudes. And we soon find out, finally as we come to a close, that there's no room for Jesus, not only in Bethlehem and in the world at large, but in our own lives. And it all ends up affecting our own lives when we start to to let the world and all these thoughts come in. We have no room in our lives for Jesus. We keep Christ out of our lives because we're so busy, aren't we? We're always so busy. One of the things, and I say it too, one of the things that, always, that I hear a lot, oh, how you doing? You know, you talk, and just, we walk in and we talk to our brothers and sisters. They come into service, sometimes before service. How you doing? How's it going? Oh, I'm so busy. Well, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just so busy. Okay, like you're, like, I don't know, between the kids and work and that activity and this and that, I'm just busy. We're, so, we're busy. We've, we've busied ourselves out of having room and finding room for Jesus in our lives. And so if we give Jesus, you know, that little one square inch in our, the living room of our heart, we're, we're, well, he's there. We're okay with that. We don't have enough room for Jesus. We'll try to squeeze him. We'll, we'll, we'll push him in that corner because we're so busy. With the everyday activities, just don't leave room for Jesus for so many of us. When we do have room in our schedules, we often limit how much of Jesus comes into our life or use that time to satisfy our own agendas, don't we? Think about it. Think about it. Busyness, our schedules, the whirlwind of our life leaves no room for Jesus if we're not careful. We have to guard ourselves with that. Secondly, in our own lives, not just are we too busy and push Jesus out where there's no room for him, but there can be no room for Jesus in our lives because we feel threatened by Jesus. Now let me just, you can be a Christian and you can still struggle with this. Because you know what being threatened has to do? It has to do with not the Savior part of Jesus, but the Lord part of Jesus. It has to do with the Lord part of Jesus. You know, there's an amazing thing, and I, I, I'm sorry, I know it's, it's a little before Christmas, but I don't want to go through the whole Christmas story, but I can't leave Herod out of the picture. You know, Herod, he hears about Jesus being born, right? And we can be just like Herod. Whether you are a follower of Jesus, you've been born again, or you're not. You, and and we 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 realize, wait, Jesus is born, the Savior is coming, and all along we think that we're the king of our lives. We're the, we sit on the throne of our own hearts, right? And we govern, we do, we're in control, we're self-sufficient, we know where we're going, we've got a plan, we've got an agenda, we're in control. Herod felt threatened because he felt like if another king was born, his governing power, his authority, his rule would be threatened, it would be undermined, it would be overthrown, actually. He was afraid of that, so what does he do? He makes a law and says, listen, I don't know, but I can't take a chance. And I can't take a chance because if there's another king. And so any baby boy that's two years old or under, get rid of them. Just take care of them. Let's annihilate them, and I'll take care of that threat. Don't we do that? And I, I don't mean that in how Herod did. But we do the same thing. We make up this own little rule in our heart. Then any time we feel like the lordship of Jesus comes into our life and he starts to, and he's supposed to, by the way, I don't want to use the word, but he dictates, he, he, he guides us, he tells us, he instructs us, he commands us how we ought to live our lives for his glory and for always for our good, always. And we get all messed up and we start saying, you know what? And all of a sudden we compartmentalize. Now maybe I'm talking for myself and it's very subtle. And we say, well, anything that has to do with that aspect where, 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 where he's coming and he's threatening my, my own sovereignty in my life, I want to just shove it, I want to get rid of it. I'm just going to get rid of it. And we ignore it or we push him out and we don't leave room for Jesus because Jesus isn't just Savior, he's also Lord. And Herod felt threatened and we feel threatened sometimes because and the world and people and humanity feels threatened and they're afraid to make room for Jesus in their lives because when he comes as Lord, we love to be in control. Well, I'm going to ask you a question about this idea of being in control. How's that working out for you? If that's who you think you are and if you're living that way and you're, you're, maybe you're in a funk and, and, or maybe you're in a certain state of mind and you, you feel that way and it's your, your pride and your arrogance and you feel like you've come somewhere and you've got it under control. and, you, and how, How's that working for you? I mean, how... Are you frustration free? Are you sin free? Are you aggravation free? Are you are you free of conflicts from people? Are you free of? I mean, how's that working for you? We love to be in control of our destiny, of our finances, of our relationships, of our passions, our desires, things we want. And when Jesus comes, and He has to be given not just a part of a room or the best room in your heart, but your whole heart. You're the innkeeper of your heart. And so when Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem and they're knocking around and they had to go to the stable because in the inn there's no room. They said, sorry, there's no room. Are you going to respond the same way because you feel threatened because you know that Jesus is Savior but he's also the Lord, the Master of the universe? We leave no room for Jesus in our lives as well and because we're prone to fail and sin because we're messed up. I'll just say it the way it is because we're messed up even if you're a christian you're god sees you amazingly but we're all we're 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 imperfect we sin right we feel that we're not worthy to be with god after all he's he's holy he's majestic he's awesome we sang about that we read about it he's awesome and we say that we say that he doesn't really care or sympathize because look at where i am well let me go back then maybe you don't struggle with the control thing but maybe you do and you feel threatened well how's that working out for you because you're, you, you're, you're, you're you're failure, prone to failure and, and, and sin in your life. And yet, that's exactly why He came. To seek and to save the lost. To pull us out of the mess, because we're messed up. To pull us out of that mess. And to, and to, to save us from our sins and, and the wrath of God in eternity without Him. And that we might have a life that's abundant even here now. He came in the manner that He did. God, Emmanuel, incarnate. So that, why? So that so that we can we can relate. He can relate. We we can understand that he understands that he was human and he felt everything we feel and and like like him and like us. He went through everything we went through. He identifies us with us through his humanity. The angels announced, as I mentioned in Matthew chapter 121, that he will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He came for that reason. So if you feel like there's no room in your life for Jesus because, well, you're not clean and and there's sin in my life and it's not right, well, you're the innkeeper of your heart. And if he stands at your door and knocks, open it up and and he'll come in and, and, and he'll clean up your mess. No one else can do it for you. They might tell you through religion or rules and legalism and everything else. They can't clean up what's in there. Only Jesus can once he comes in. My question is this morning, will we be like those who came to Jesus? The shepherds, they came when they heard about Jesus and what did they do? They came and worshipped, right? And once they they discovered it was Jesus, they went and told everybody. The magi, they came, they traveled from thousands of miles away and they came and they brought gifts to him because they recognized him as, that he was a a newborn king. And they they teach us that no matter how far from God we are or how little we even know about him maybe, if we will find him if we seek him, you're going to find him. You're going to find him. This Christmas... In this Advent season, as we're preparing for Christmas, will you take time, will you make room in your schedule, your agenda, your mind, your heart, your life, for Jesus to come in and to dominate and to rule and to light up, if you will, your life, your heart, your your season? Here's the thing. Jesus already came once and we celebrate that at Christmas but he's coming again and it's not going to be in a manger or it's, going to, it's not going to be so quietly and unannounced or announced only to a group of shepherds and maybe the magi revealed. He's going to come in glory and when he comes again in all of his glory, power, and majesty, every eye in all of creation is going to see him, the Bible says. And here's the beautiful thing, going back to John chapter 1 and verse 12. When he comes on that day, The cool thing is, is that that all those, as John says, to all those who believed in his name, to those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And what happens then? They go on to be with him for eternity, forever and ever and ever. So, Christ has come to you. And today, he's coming to you. He's knocking on your heart. You're the innkeeper of your heart and of your life. And is there room for Jesus? Or will you say, sorry, there's no room for Jesus? Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your inn. As your Lord and your Savior, to forgive you of your sins and to take residence in your life and to be your Lord, you can do that by simply confessing your sins and asking him to come. And you invite him in. You open that door. He doesn't force it open. You open that door. He's knocking. He's knocking. But you've got to open that door. Maybe you have done that. But for some reason, you've taken Jesus and you kind of shoved him and over here and over here and there's less room for Jesus and there's more room for other people or agendas or yourself. Today, Jesus says in Revelation 3.20 that I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they will eat with me. This morning, is there room for Jesus in your inn, in your heart? I invite you to make room. He calls you and invites you and asks you to make room because he wants to be with you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning that we've entered the season, God, of the Advent season and preparing for the celebration of Christmas, your first coming, Lord, that you might be our The forgiver of our sins, the one who would die on the cross, the one who was born in a manger, would carry that cross and carry, Lord, the sins of the world. And, Lord, the full wrath of God came upon him. And and because of that, our sins are forgiven when we place our faith in Jesus once and for all. They're forgiven, they're taken away. And I praise you, Lord, for that. Lord, I pray this morning that you would touch every heart here that you would convict us, you would show, show us, you would point out uh, through your word and by your Holy Spirit prompting and speaking to us any of those areas where we've put up a sign, maybe not even physically, but just, Lord, in, in our mind, and, or maybe it is a physical thing in some ways, where we say there's no room for Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would be moved and as generous, willing, and and keepers, Lord. We'd receive you as Lord and Savior and we would continue to have you as our Lord if we've made you our Savior, Lord. God, I pray that you help us with that and help us to share the fact that you want to take residence in the, in the hearts of many other individuals, Lord. We thank you and praise you for coming for us and we make room for you today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful day. As I mentioned,